everyone. Welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders, part of the Edge Sports family. It's the Tuesday after week one, so I'm going to hit you with my waiver wire recommendations for their season log leagues this week. I have an article up on Football Outsiders that organizes that by fab recommendation, so you can check that out if you need a few more specifics. But for the podcast, I'm going to go team by team. And I'll get that started with last Thursday's opening kickoff game between the Packers and the Bears. My major takeaways here were... Marcus Valdez-Scantling, we were a little unsure entering the season whether he would be the number two wide receiver for the Packers. He ended up with six total targets in this game compared to just zero for Geronimo Allison. With the equanimous St. Brown out for the season with his ankle injury, I think Valdez-Scantling looks like he's got a, a lock on the wide receiver two position for this team. And that may actually make him a wide receiver two in fantasy for this season because that's obviously a very valuable fantasy position to have with Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. So he's going to be one of my favorite waiver wire pickups at wide receiver for the week. Uh, in contrast, Jimmy Graham at tight end, he had the two end zone targets. The only two on the team had the touchdown. I'm still not super intrigued. Uh, negative 6.6% DVOA last season. I think he's probably on track for another season of 600 or so receiving yards. May have more touchdowns than last season, but I think that he's going to be a stretch to be a tight end one this year. Probably more like just an average tight end two in your shallower formats. Next up, we have the Ravens at Dolphins game. And, and obviously, this is the, the huge game for week one for fantasy purposes. Lamar Jackson is the guy that you really need to pick up more than any other. Last season, he was on an RB1 pace as a quarterback with 1,271 rushing yards and nine rushing touchdowns if he prorated his starts throughout the full season. That doesn't even count the passing. Meanwhile, the passing was tremendous in week one this week. He led the position with 121.4% passing DVOA. His 85% completion rate was 24.8% better than his expected rate based on NFL Next Gen stats. So he just looks like a really valuable player. Um, he's basically designed for, for fantasy and getting fantasy points. So you know, b- blow your entire fab if, if you can, if he's still available in your league, because I think he can be a true difference maker, which is pretty unusual at the quarterback position. So if Jackson's that good, I think that's going to probably turn some of his other skill players into good options too. The obvious guy to start with there is rookie wide receiver Marquise Brown, who had four catches, 147 yards, and two touchdowns in his opening game. Uh, Obviously, that's a super efficient number, and he ended up with 129.7% DVOA for the game. Just five targets, but the other wide receivers on the Ravens only had five targets combined, too. So I think there's an outside shot that Brown becomes like a legitimate wide receiver one for a team that you wouldn't expect necessarily to have one. So his upside is just so high that I'm willing to, to grab him in my shallow leagues just to sort of see what happens. I'm not sure I'm ready to start him because this may not be a ton of targets that he ends up getting, but I'm ready to look and find out. Uh, the skill guy that I know I want for the Ravens is Mark Andrews. Um, he had eight targets, which is 32% of the team's non-running back target total for the week. Uh, Hayden Hurst and Nick Boyle are two tight ends also on the roster, had four and three targets, but I'm not really worried about that. I think this is a team that's going to rely on multiple tight ends. And after the you know the, the trifecta of, of George Kittle, Zach Ertz, and, and Travis Kelsey at the position, Andrews is probably my favorite to be the number four fantasy tight end on the season at this point. And he's still available in, you know, half to a third of a lot of these leagues. So go ahead and spend a hefty amount of fab there, too, if you need some help at tight end. I think he could really help your squads. And then I'll finish off the the, team, the Ravens by talking about Gus Edwards. He's really under-owned. I mean, less than 4% across all the formats that I'm checking here. But he actually outcarried Mark Ingram 17 carries to 14 on the day. And both players had three of those carries while the game was within two scores. So Edwards was involved early and as much throughout the game as Ingram. Edwards even had one more red zone or one more 
carry within five yards of the end zone than Ingram. Ingram just happened to punch his two attempts like that in. Um, and coming off a season with 5.2 yards per carry and a 13.9% DVOA, I really think Edwards is going to be involved a lot this year. And I think this team can support multiple effective fantasy running backs. So, yeah, I would grab Edwards in particular in your deeper formats, but he may even have shallow league relevance, especially if you're dealing with buys a little bit later in the season. The Dolphins obviously didn't do too well um, as a team, but, you know, this is a team that, since they're going to be down a lot, could be passing a lot, and that could lead to some fantasy potential in garbage time. What I noticed is last year this was a team where guys like Albert Wilson um, and some other smaller guys were kind of running all over the field and getting open, and it was exciting. And now it's just like really tall, tall players. And I'm wondering if this is something that maybe Ryan Fitzpatrick likes to throw the ball up to the big receivers. Well, he's got three in Devontae Parker, who's six foot three and two sixteen, rookie Preston Williams, who's six foot five and two eighteen, and tight end Mike Gesicki, six foot six and two hundred and fifty pounds. Uh, they led the team with seven, six, and five respective targets. For the season, I think Parker's your best bet to have value, at least in shallow leagues. Preston Williams is definitely the one that I want in the long term, and he's a guy that you need to pick up in your dynasty formats, even over some of the guys that got drafted more highly in the draft. And then with Gasicki, you know, that's last year he was a second-round pick in the NFL draft, so I think it may be a little bit too early to give up on him, at least at least in my deeper formats right now. I'm picking him up and seeing if he can be a fantasy contributor this year. Moving on to the Rams and Panthers game, the big fantasy story of the week, not counting Lamar, um, is, is Malcolm Brown who had 11 carries compared to 14 for Todd Gurley against the Panthers, and maybe more important for fantasy perspective, had two carries within five yards of the end zone with none for Gurley. So I don't think Brown is really going to be involved as a receiver at all. Gurley is just a tremendous receiving option out of the backfield, 470 career DYAR. They also brought in Daryl Henderson, that rookie receiving back, so that's going to probably take all of those touches. But, you know, the the Rams had... um, 28 carries within five yards of the end zone last year, second most in football behind just the Saints. So Brown, I mean, it wouldn't be that shocking to me if he ended up having, say, 10 to 12 touchdowns. And even if that's only over 100 or so carries throughout the year, you know, that could actually be a flex consideration, maybe even an RB2 sometimes. So he's a player you should probably pick up. I wouldn't overspend on him because it's not a given just because one game he had the two red zone looks that that's going to be the way that it goes throughout the season. But that might be a way that the team can can limit some of the wear and tear on Gurley, who's dealing with that, that those knee issues for probably the rest of his career. On the Panther side of things, you had Greg Olson um, finally looked healthier with the foot, had nine targets, 35% of the non-running back targets for the team. Curtis Samuel only had four, so it really looked like an Olsen and DJ Moore as the primary targets for the team. Uh, but unfortunately, Olsen hurt his back and is a question mark for this Thursday's game where the Panthers are playing on Thursday against the, the division rival Buccaneers. So Olsen, I think, is probably going to be a long-term back-end tight end one option for you this season, unless injuries just continue to be a problem with them. But at least for me, the back injury, at least it's not the foot. You know, that's, that's now surgically repaired, and I'm hoping that it's going to be okay for him for the rest of the year. Next, we have the Titans at Browns. Like, obviously, this game was was uh, a surprise, I guess, with how well the Titans did. But a lot of the fantasy players involved, at least on the Titans side, were pretty expected. And I'm not worried about the Browns. I think they're going to have a tremendous offense and carry a lot of great fantasy players for the season. So the only player that I need feel like I need to mention is Delaney Walker, who, after breaking his ankle last year and now being 35 years old, I was a little worried that he wasn't going to really make a bounce back in fantasy. But six targets in this game, 55 yards, and two touchdowns. 
That's a team, the Browns, that actually were top 10 in DVOA defense against tight ends a year ago. So Walker looks back to form, doesn't look any older or worse for the wear for, for the injury situation from last year. So he's a guy that could probably be a back-end tight end one for you too. Moving one of the Falcons at Vikings, we had another bit of a blowout here, but hidden in that I think was a little bit of optimism, at least on the fantasy side for the Atlanta Falcons and Ito Smith. Smith is a little bit small at five foot nine and 195 pounds, so I thought he might kind of slot into the Tevin Coleman role as the receiving option for the team. He had just one target on the week, but had 32 last year. But I think kind of as a telling sign, he took all six of his carries with the passing team as the team was down late in the game, down more than two scores. So I think that's going to be his role for the team going forward this year. I doubt he'll have the same total value that that Tevin Coleman did in his years, but Smith could definitely be a flex option even in shallow formats for you behind Devontae Freeman. The Bills and Jets, okay, that was maybe my favorite game of the day. I definitely featured it in my tipping points write-up yesterday, and check that out on footballoutsiders.com if you haven't. But a lot of fantasy intrigue here, especially on the Bills side, and I'll start with Devin Singletary. Singletary only had four carries compared to 11 for Frank Gore, but Singletary was much, much better. 33 DYAR compared to negative 23 for Gore. And Singletary has a sort of a history of being a receiving option and had six targets in this game. I really don't think it's going to be long before he ends up being the primary running and receiving option out of the backfield for the Bills. So I would go ahead and try to grab him now while he might be a little bit less expensive, not coming off a major fantasy performance. But I think long term, he has running back one upside, frankly, but I think probably running back two will probably be his more realistic ceiling this year with Josh Allen taking a lot of those goal line touchdowns. And speaking of Josh Allen, he had a very nice game, Uh, 2.3% fewer completions than expected based on the next uh, next-gen uh, stats from the NFL. Uh, that's actually much better from a 7.7% deficit that he had through much of last year. And I thought he showed some good touches on some of his passes. And given that he's such a threat to run and such a good running back score near the goal line and that boys' his fantasy value, Allen could be a real option for you in, in your deeper formats. Throwing the ball, uh, it looks like they're two clear number one and and number two receivers for the Bills now. You have John Brown, a new free agent, 10 targets, 7 catches, 123 yards, and a touchdown. And Cole Beasley, the slot receiver formerly of the Cowboys, 9 targets. Take note that Robert Foster last year, who had a very nice second half of the season in fantasy, zero targets on the day. I think John Brown has just taken his job, and Foster is pretty much irrelevant in fantasy. You can go ahead and drop him. On the Jets side of things, it, it wasn't a great day offensively. The, the Bills' defense is, is pretty fearsome. They were second in DVOA defense last year and third in pressure rate. Uh, but Jamison Crowder had a monster day in his Jets' debut, 17 targets, which is 53% of the non-running back targets for the team. Only DeAndre Hopkins had a higher percentage of those targets for his team this week. And I think that's a little bit to do with the pressure that the Bills were able to bring consistently all day. But That doesn't mean Crowder can't be an excellent option for you in PPR formats, especially if you're in that format. Go and grab him. And at least until Chris Hernan returns from his suspension, Crowder's probably going to be good for a good 10 targets a game for the next few games. Pivoting over to Crowder's old team, we have the Redskins at Eagles. The big fantasy takeaway from this game is probably that Darius Geis hurt his knee. It's not the same knee that he injured last year when he tore his ACL. But he's a guy with a history of a lot of knee issues, so I think it may be a few weeks for him, maybe even longer. And I think that means Adrian Peterson will slot in just like he was last year as sort of a back-end RB2, possible RB flex option for you. So grab him if you dropped him when he got the inactive uh, before the game. And then the Redskins passing offense was a little bit of a surprise, and there's a lot of guys here with, 
I'm not totally sure how it's going to break out, but you had Terry McLaurin, the rookie receiver, Trey Quinn, the slot receiver, and Paul Richardson, the guy they brought in from Seattle and was hurt for most of last year. All three of those guys had between six and seven targets on the um, on the game. I'm actually going to side with McLaurin for your your first choice among a pickup. I think that he has the highest upside, is the most talented of the bunch. And then Quinn is my second choice. He's coming out of the slot. So if McLaurin and Richardson end up divvying up the targets on the outside between them, Quinn has a little bit less competition in where some guys like Jamison Crowder, for instance, have had success in fantasy for the Redskins previously. Deshaun Jackson back with the Eagles, and man, he had a fantastic day. Obviously, the two long touchdown passes are what created his great fantasy week. But the thing that sort of intrigued me for for longer term was that he had 10 targets, which led the team. Carson Wentz is one of the most aggressive quarterbacks in the league with 10 plus air yards on 35.7% of his passes the last two seasons. Only Jameis Winston has been more aggressive, and and I'm guessing Winston's been a little bit too aggressive. Um, But with Wentz, I feel like Jackson is in the best possible place he could be for his fantasy situation. And he's available in a good 30% of leagues across multiple formats. So he's a guy that I would pick up. Um, It's going to be a little bit boom and bust, but his booms are going to be really, really good on the Eagles, better than they've been in recent seasons. And I think he's going to be usable as a wide receiver too. Moving on to the Chiefs and Jaguars, I think a lot of Damian Williams fans were probably freaking out in this game because LaShawn McCoy led the team with 81 rushing yards and had 10 carries. But I would calm a little bit down um, because it's actually five of those 10 carries came with more than a two-score lead um, for, for the Chiefs. And 10 of Damian Williams' 13 were the same. So Williams was in earlier in the game. Williams also got the one carry within five yards of the end zone. I think McCoy is just a handcuff. And obviously, there are going to be games where the Chiefs blow out their opponents, and that's going to lead to opportunities for their backups, both at running back and receiver. But I think that for the most part, Williams is a pretty safe option for you at running back too. And I would I would handcuff him with McCoy if I had the space, but I'm not going to be spending all of my fab money to grab McCoy as just a player that I want to start every week. For the Jaguars, uh, sadly, Nick Foles uh, broke his collarbone in this game, so he's going to be out maybe for the year. And that unexpectedly pushed sixth-round rookie Gardner Minshew in at quarterback. Got to say, I was impressed. He completed 16.2% more passes than expected based on the next-gen stats. And that's a little bit of a surprise to me. I know that that was a lot of garbage time, and the, the Chiefs defense, at least last year, wasn't very good. But the Chiefs defense last year was much worse against running backs. 15% more yards per rushing attempt allowed compared to just 5% more yards per passing attempt. So, you know optimistic there with Minshew. Um, I'm not sure I'm running to grab him in my shallow leagues, but in dynasty formats, if I'm holding on to guys like, you know, Ryan Finley or or guys like that, or who also aren't uh, starting, grab grab Minshew, see what he does. I mean, he's going to start for a while now. They also traded for Josh Dobbs to be his backup, but I think Minshew is going to get the nod at least for a while and, and, you know, could, could show potential. I'm interested to see how he does. I am a bit optimistic for Minshew, but I think that his being in there is going to make it tough for multiple Jaguars wide receivers to have a real fantasy impact this year. And I think D.D. Westbrook is probably going to be the main guy, and that's going to mean that both D.J. Chark and Chris Conley aren't really great fantasy options, even though they had tremendous days on Sunday. Chark with 146 yards and touchdown, that was only on four targets. Conley, 97 yards and one touchdown on seven targets. I mean, I think it's a wait and see a little bit, but those guys I'm not going to use a lot of fat money on. 
Okay, moving to the Colts of Chargers. Uh, not a lot of fantasy takeaways here. I mean, I think that with guys like Austin Eckler, they performed really well. But I think most of those guys were owned already, given the the uncertainty of, of the Melvin Gordon situation. So the major takeaway for fantasy for me is that actually David Funchess, the second wide receiver for the Colts, broke his clavicle and landed on IR. And that means that Deion Kane, I think, is the number two wide receiving option for the Colts now. And in your deeper leagues, he could be an option. Uh, he was one of the top 25 prospects for football outsiders entering the year, which is basically the guys that didn't have a lot of opportunities last year but showed some some promise. Um, I think that Kane could be an option for you in your deeper format, so go grab him in those in those types of leagues. Next up, we have the Bengals at Seahawks. Maybe the weirdest game of the day, and that and makes it very difficult for me to know how to recommend what to do in particular with the Bengals. Andy Dalton set a career high with 418 passing yards, but that was on 51 attempts. Um, I mean, I, I never really expected that coming into Seattle, but, you know, I think Dalton's kind of in that no man's land where he would have to keep doing this for a while to, to enter the the like wide receiver one mix in shallow formats where you would want to pick him up. And in deeper leagues, he's definitely already owned. So he's kind of in a no man's land there. I think John Ross is probably the guy you're maybe looking at in fantasy, 158 yards and two touchdowns. Those 12 targets were 28% of the team's non-running back targets, which is a healthy number. And Ross obviously has the pedigree as the former top 10 pick two years ago. I'm going to pick him up and wait and see what happens. I think that given the natural talent, given the obvious, the tremendous speed, maybe with a new offense with Zach Taylor coming in at head coach, kind of refreshing things a little bit, maybe there's something there. Um, I'd rather have him on my bench to find out and drop him in a few weeks if it doesn't work out. Meanwhile, Tyler Eifert, back from injury. He's just had tons of injury issues over the last few years, but six targets in this game looked healthy. The team's other tight end, C.J. Uzoma, had five, so it was more of a split workload. But I think as things progress, Eifert will probably get more of those while Uzoma spends more of his time blocking. So uh, if I need a tight end, too, and Eifert's out there, I would take a look. I think he has a chance to to be a contributor again. Um, But I will say that Giovanni Bernard is a guy that maybe would have headed this list, but Joe Mixon avoided a serious ankle injury in this game. He left the game early. He may be back for the 49ers next week, but if not, is probably going to be back in two weeks. So you can plug and play Bernard for one week, but he's not going to be a long-term option for you in fantasy, so don't spend too much fab money to grab him. For the Seahawks, um, interestingly, rookie DK Metcalf had six of the team's 12 non-running back targets. They didn't throw the ball a ton in this game. As mentioned, it was kind of a strange one. But I was really shocked to see Metcalf so integrated and relied upon in his first game with the team. The Seahawks are a notorious um, sort of a slow-building team with their their younger um, wide receivers. You remember how long it took Tyler Lockett to sort of become ingrained as part of the offense. But with Doug Baldwin retired, maybe Metcalf is going to be a more featured part of the offense initially than I expected. And he certainly flashed his incredible athletic potential in this one. So here's a guy, I mean, there's a lot of wide receivers that I think are available in your shadower formats. And Metcalf is owned in a healthy number, at least in ESPN leagues at 64% of leagues. So your mileage may vary depending on the league, but it's a guy that at least worth, is worth monitoring. If he continues to get a big percentage of the Seahawks targets, then I'll be in because he's a talent. Next up, we have the Giants at Cowboys. Michael Gallup, obviously one of the big fantasy days, seven catches, 158 yards. But, you know, the Cowboys threw the ball a lot in that game, and Gallup only had 24% of the non-running back targets. Amari Cooper heavily involved with nine. Randall Cobb had five coming out of the slot replacing Cole Beasley, and even Jason Witten and Blake Jarwin, two tight ends, combined for seven, playing a lot of two tight end sets for the Cowboys. 
you know, I think this is kind of a team that's going to be run focused a lot of the time. It may be tough for Gallup to get the, the, the big target volume that can sustain him as, say, a wide receiver two or even flex option. I think he's really good. So in that sense, you want to pick him up and see what happens. Absolutely. If something ends up happening to Cooper, then Gallup would suddenly vault into maybe wide receiver one discussion. But right now, I think Gallup's fantasy um, situation could be a little bit challenging for him to put up big numbers this year. Lions at Cardinals. Uh, The Lions, Danny Amendola had a huge day here. He had 13 targets, which was 34% of the non-running back targets for the Lions. I really thought that that rookie running back Ty Johnson would be more involved, but only eight snaps on the day. And so Amendola kind of served that middle-of-the-field role. Um, Actually, Amendola, Kenny Galladay, and rookie tight end TJ Hawkinson were the only three Lions receivers with nine or more targets, and no one else had five. So it seems like a real feast or famine situation for the Lions, but you can grab those three guys. I mean, Galladay's own, but Amendola can be a deeper league wide receiver option for you, Hawkinson a deeper league, and maybe even better tight end option for you in fantasy. For the Cardinals, it was a ton of pass attempts, 54. I'm actually not sure if that's going to be sustainable. I think it actually might be. I mean, you have the new air raid kind of college offense there with Kirk Kingsbury, Um, Murray looked up for it, even with some of the other issues on the team. He seemed just better equipped to handle it than what they had going on last season. And so I think that definitely means that Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk are going to be solid fantasy options. They each had more than 10 targets in this game. They're also kind of owned in quite a few leagues, but may be available in some of your shallower formats. Keyshawn Johnson is the other guy on the team with 10 plus targets in this game. Um, 22% of the teams, you know, it's an okay number, um, but I think he's someone to avoid. I think actually Michael Crabtree, who's going to join the team for next week's game, is going to end up taking his role with the team. So longer term, Johnson's going to have value, um, but not, I think, in the short term. 49ers of Buccaneers. This may have been the breakout game we've finally been waiting for for Ronald Jones. He had 13 carries compared to just eight for for Peyton Barber. Jones had 26% DVOA on the game and was just really inefficient on all of his rushing attempts last season, just kind of looked overwhelmed in his rookie year. I'm intrigued. You know, Barber's just kind of a a mediocre veteran guy, and it's just kind of been tiding things over while hopefully Jones was going to break out this season. And it's an optimistic sign for him um, in in the first week, even with everything else going wrong for the Buccaneers. So I'd look to see if he might get more workload in the future in some of their games that are a little bit more balanced. Grab him in your fantasy leagues now, though, before he gets too expensive. Pivoting to the Sunday night game, the Steelers and Patriots, another blowout here. Uh, Dante Moncrief teased some fantasy potential with 10 targets, but that was only 24% of the non-running back targets for the team because there were just a lot of targets to go around. Ryan Switzer had six, um, Washington six, Deontay Johnson had five. I'm really not sure that this tells us a ton about how those targets are going to get distributed when the Steelers have a little bit more success in the future. And Moncrief certainly wasn't efficient with negative 108% DVOA on the game. I mean, pretty much everyone played terribly for the Steelers, so I'm not going to call him out specifically for that. But I'm also not going to run out and and spend my fab money to grab Moncrief because I'm not sure he's the definite number two option for for the Steelers this season. For the Patriots, Rex Burkhead got a lot of work, 13 touches, led the team with 85 yards out of the backfield. Um, But four of his 16 touches came when the Pats were up by more than two scores late in the game. I'm not sure he's going to be heavily involved, and I'm not going to spend a lot of fab money on him. Rookie running back Damian Harris was actually healthy and active, so Burkhead is going to be playing. But I think that Sonny Michelle and James White are your two fantasy options out of the backfield, except in very deep formats. 
Philip Dorsett was the wide receiver to own for the day for the Patriots, 95 yards and two touchdowns. But that's just 18% of the non-running back targets kind of uh, contributed to that. And I have to assume that his fantasy workload is going to go away next week when Antonio Brown shows up and and (laughs) creates just a dynamic receiving core. It's going to be fearsome. Moving to Monday night, we've got the Texans at Saints. Carlos Hyde has only been with the team a week, but he had 10 carries compared to nine for Duke Johnson and one target against five for Johnson. I actually think that's how that split is going to kind of go throughout the season. And so that means that Hyde is an option for you, even in your salary leagues. It's going to be a, a carry versus target skewed workload, but that's kind of what it was for, for Lamar Miller last year too. And Miller was a, a flex option for most of the year. So I think Hyde will be too. I'm not sure he's a special talent, but that's what the Texans have to work with right now. And I don't think Duke Johnson can shoulder too hefty of a workload. So grab Hyde in some of your leagues where you need running backs too. Traquan Smith uh, for the Saints, he had the touchdown, um, and and but he just he just had two targets on the day. Uh, I think he was a potential guy that we were hoping for a breakout, but Ted Ginn had seven in front of him. So at least for now, I'm not going to read too much into the fact that he got the end zone look, and I'm going to kind of steer clear. It seems like Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara are kind of where all that receiving value on the Saints is coming from at this point. And then we'll close things out with the Broncos at Raiders. Uh, for the Broncos, it was... You know, there were only really four receiving options involved, not counting the running backs. You had Cortland Sutton with eight targets, Emmanuel Sanders with seven, rookie tight end Noah Fant with five, and then Deshaun Hamilton with four. So another real haves and have-nots situation. I think Sutton and Sanders should probably be owned in all of your, even your shallow leagues, and in particular Sanders, who I think looks fully recovered from from his late season injury. Um, On the Raiders side of things, Two guys obviously stood out. You had Tyrell Williams with seven targets and then tight end Darren Waller with eight targets. Waller in particular at six foot six and 255 pounds with 4.46 speed. You know, he, he runs like a receiver, but is built like a tight end. And the Raiders really just don't have a lot of passing options. So both of these guys may end up being very val- valuable even in your shallow formats. I'm not sure there'll be enough to, to boy Derek Carr, who I originally thought was going to be a sleeper before the, the Antonio Brown mess happened. But at this point, I think both Williams and Waller could be real fantasy options for you this year. Okay, that's going to do it for this week's episode, or this Tuesday's episode of the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. Come back in two days, and I'll hit you up with uh, all of the weekend matchups, the best and worst guys for the weekend. Um, and then please subscribe to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast and check out all the other great work we have going on on footballoutsiders.com. Thanks so much, and I'll talk to you in a couple days. Mm-hmm.